What's going on, world? And welcome to another episode of the Art of Visuals podcast. My name is Prince, and I am your host. And today we have a special guest, Chris House. He's an Atlanta-based commercial photographer and videographer. I had the pleasure of meeting Chris in person at Sony Condo 3.0, what, a month and a half, maybe two months ago. And uh, I'm really excited to have you on the show, brother. Welcome. Thanks for having me out, man. I'm stoked to have you. Why don't you start us off by letting the AOV community know a little bit more about yourself, Chris? Yeah. So as you said, I'm an Atlanta-based commercial photographer, videographer, mostly specializing in be it commercial work, events, concerts, portrait. Been a photographer for about six years. I love it. It's, it's awesome to be able to wake up and uh, do this whole thing for a living. So Chris and I are going to chat today about mental health and creativity, but before we hop into the mental health and creativity, uh, why don't you let us know how you got into photography in the first place, Chris? Yeah, so I actually got into photography, it was kind of like a roundabout roundabout way. So growing up, I was mostly playing music from age like 12, and I mean, I still play, and what do you play? I'd always like mess uh, guitar and bass. Nice. Yeah, I've been playing for a while. Uh, and I'd always messed around with my dad's cameras as a kid, um, but never really thought anything of it. Um, and then it wasn't until high school that I was, I guess the photography bug kind of bit me, <clears throat> but I had the idea that I was just going to be focused in on music, be it recording or touring. Um, and when I got to college, that didn't really work out. And I really just didn't want to stick with just the standard business degree. I think those degrees are awesome and a lot of people thrive in them, but I just knew for myself, I couldn't just do a standard degree. Um, and so after a, after two semesters, just trying to make a business marketing degree work, switched over to being a film major. And from there, I was like 2013 that I just kind of fully committed to this whole thing. Dude, that's impressive. Impressive. That's impressive. Where did the photography bug bite you? Because it got me in my bottom left cheek, and I was, I'm always curious. Yeah, I think it was uh, my left ankle. <laughs> just like walking past the bug, and it just slashed on. I love it. Um, so with your photography, I, I love your work. I saw a recent video that you did on YouTube of – it uh, looked like a behind-the-scenes of a style shoot. It had a really uh, beautiful woman, great setting, really nice, slow, sleek shots, great beats. What are you doing with those? I, I, I really like the style of that, and so I'm curious if you want to share a little background on that specific piece of content you created. Yeah, so that, I guess you could call moving portrait of one of my friends, Judith. I had a, had a conversation with a photographer friend of mine just about like creating and he was like, well, you already shoot portraits of people. Why don't you do videos of them? Um, and so, you know, I was like, okay, let's, let's try this. It was one of those things that I like didn't fully have a plan. I just knew I had this allotted amount of time to make something happen. Cause we were also shooting photos at the same time. Um, and it was one of those things where I was just like, okay, I know this is the area I'm shooting in. Um, let's see what happens. So like, there wasn't like a straight up plan. There wasn't a shot list. It was really kind of like what I would say kind of back in the old days for me when I really first started out, it was me and a camera and roaming around a city. 
Um, and that was kind of like what I wanted to do with that. Um, with it also just um, finding new ways within my own creative journey of showing people um, and just showing like how people are themselves. Like, you know, one of my main goals is that I would not um, just do some of the standard things you see in portraiture all the time, not the bad things, but just how can I be better authentically myself in my work? Um, how can that reflect? Um, how can the interactions I have with someone while we're not filming come out when I'm filming? Them? How can I make a model feel at ease? Because we were talking about the condo trip, um, and you know, they, there was one or two guys that I think they just told them that like, hey, watch how you talk to the models. And I was like, yeah, that's been a standard issue with the end of the industry. And I'd love to be part of the change of just, I think there's this thing in portraiture photography about no matter what the subject is, you, you almost have the inclination to accidentally either commodify them, um, sexualize, or just, you know, them just be a subject rather than a person. And so with all these creative things, I'm trying to find and explore what does it look like to not just take, you know, technical terms, yes, they're a subject, but at the end of the day, they're a person. So how can you interact with someone to get the most authentic version of themselves on camera? Because I think um, that's what can make portraits authentic. That's what makes them powerful. That's what makes them a enjoyable swipe or watch you know mm -hmm. yeah that's a that's an interesting topic and curious when you're so when you're out with a model and, you, and you're deciding to shoot a video like this video how do you go about approaching something like that from a creative standpoint yeah so i i kind of approach it akin to how there's music um you know a song there's beats there's breaks there's crescendos there's rising there's falling um and so for me it's how can I move about a scene musically almost? How can I match the, you know, how mus musicians naturally synchronize with each other? There's this weird science behind it where human brains can synchronize with each other when they play music. How can I take that concept and do it with my talent? Um, so how can I move around a set telling the best story of the environment they're in? If, there's, if they're the focal point, how can their movements be the most dominant thing in the frame versus just, oh, look at this cool gimbal move I did. Like how can, you know, in, in some ways it's like the story first mindset of like with this, I want to be sure that like every move I do is calculated enough that it's, it's only helping the general story behind it. Be it as a simple story as just a model walking through the city looking stylish and beautiful, you know? Um, how can everything I do from the movement, from how I sync pushing in or pushing out with her movements, um, is her walk pace too slow? Is it too fast? Um, you know, all those things come to mind. And a lot of it's uh, what started off maybe thinking about that intentionally over time has been fairly subconscious at this point in time. It's kind of just um, one of those things that I'm just always have in the back of my mind to try and just be like, okay, this is how I want to do these things in a person. Right. That yeah, makes sense. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that process with us. I'm curious, you're talking about gimbals. So you use a gimbal in your video stuff. Uh, you can see some of that from the movement and the smooth shots. 
what other equipment uh, are you using in your toolkit? Yeah, so I recently, basically after the condo trip, kind of switched everything over from, I was a split Canon Sony user, had a 7.3 and a 5D Mark IV, and Canons are great cameras, but they just weren't the tool for me to get the job done. Um, and so what, what, I switched what made over. You switch? Um, I guess, I mean, it sounds like you've always been both, but what made you fully move into the Sony realm? Yeah, for me, it was just some frustrations about the hybrid nature of each camera. So Sony Day 7.3 just being a great camera that can shoot both photo and video. Well, no hiccups, no, no, like all the tech in the camera just works really well to do both well. Um, whereas the 5D Mark IV for me, it just didn't do it for me. And then also just being kind of a run and gun photographer and filmmaker, I didn't always have the time to bust out a big DSLR and would prefer to always try and keep it as light as possible because the more time I'm trying to set something up or play with settings, you know, I'm missing the moment that's right in front of me. So for me, it was like choosing a camera system that was going to be something that I could pack in a book bag if I was traveling and not think about it. Right. No, that's super valid. I think most of us are in that boat nowadays where people just, it makes a lot more sense to just go with one camera. If there's one camera that can do it all and do it well, uh, versus having multiple cameras, lenses, and we all know how expensive and frustrating that world can, can become. Oh yeah. And it's weird because like occupying both like just a creative space, but then also like in the commercial world, like there's this weird dichotomy of like, you know, a lot of directors of photography I'll talk with, they're like, man, I still love my red rigged up with like a long cine zoom lens that's just big and bulky. Um, and then I'll find myself being like, that's great for certain projects, but half the time I don't really want to use the biggest, bulkiest camera, no matter if it could be the industry standard. I just need something that's going to do exactly what I need it to do. What do you um, think about that new iPhone? It's, it's impressive. Small cameras. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's definitely impressive. I have seen a couple people, I think it was on Instagram today. Um, and I think it was Jake. Andy Toe, I saw his stuff and it was incredible. Um, Jason, yeah, Andy Toe. <laughs> Sorry, Andy. Um, but I saw, I think it was Jason Vong, um, YouTuber. Yeah. Um, he noticed there was a couple glitches within just zooming in from the wide to the standard lens. But all in all, I think it's it's starting to get pretty impressive. Um, now you could get into the debate of like Android phones already have those types of camera tech in existence. And, and you're correct, but I was having a conversation with my photographer buddy, Evan Ranft, the other day, and it wasn't about the fact that, you know, the specs, it was more just whatever Apple does in the back end for how they encode their photos and videos, it just looks better. Yeah. You know, it goes back to that Android meme about everything looking like a potato. <laughs> it's, it's definitely one of those things where, like, it's, it's really cool to see technology have so much things crammed into such small packages you know it was uh after that condo trip just kind of diving into some of the key not keynote speakers but the people hosting workshops namely ben lowey um and just hearing how you know a dude that's a combat photographer in conflict zones would choose an iphone because of the look and the feel of it and just i think it further can hone in the like there's this thing where people talk about gear doesn't matter 
And in a lot of ways, you're correct. Like you can, your creative eyes, what informs everything you do. But at the end of the day, all these things are tech pieces of tools that get the job done. You know, we don't tell a mechanic, oh, your wrenches don't matter or your pliers don't matter or your car lift doesn't matter. Like they matter in, in the way of like, are they going to help you get the job done? And that's it. But it's so cool to see how a smartphone now can film or take photos that are just really freaking impressive. Yeah, dude. I, uh, I'm excited. I got rid of every camera I own and I'm producing everything exclusively on iPhone. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I was about to say, I see some cameras in the, the back of your shot. <laughs> I haven't sold yeah, those yet. That's the, that's the retirement uh, mantle. And so, uh, but dude, so when you reached out, you talked about wanting to chat about mental health and creativity, which leads me to think that you have your own story of overcoming some sort of mental health to access the, the wealth of creativity flowing through your body. So why don't you start us off by sharing that journey? Yeah. Yeah. That just put you on the spot, dude. <laughs> hey, I'm fine. I've shared this story enough times that I feel like I kind of, I, I don't feel on the spot, but basically when I was 10, I started noticing I was feeling really down and depressed and suicidal. And like, you know, at 10 years old, I don't think most kids should be dealing with those things. And it was due to certain life circumstances that like, you know, I've learned how to deal with. Um, and, you know, for most of my adolescence and young adulthood, I just kind of tried to suppress the things going on in my head because, you know, suppression is the name of the game of like, that's, that's the false view of how to get through and power through. And I was just like, also like, I want to do all these creative things. So I can't let this get to me. Um, but once I got to college, kind of just like those lifelines of friends, working on things you were so stoked about kind of dried up. You know, I was telling you earlier on about how music just wasn't panning out. And then, you know, all my friends growing up went to different colleges, save one friend. So, you know, college was a clean slate for me. Um, and basically in the past, let's say, six years of just learning how to manage depression, suicidal thoughts, um, those things, it's it's really like helped me, I think, get in touch with the humanity, not only myself, but in other people. Um, so, you know, for me, it was take time to strengthen self-thoughts about myself, creative image of myself. Like, I think the inward journey always informs the things you create. Um, and so for me in the past couple of years, it's just been how do I take best care of myself so I can continue to do these creative things, do them well and not let the things that maybe could be going on in my head because, you know, at the end of the day is the societal conversations coming around where people are embracing the fact that you can be depressed or feel all these ways. It's still be a highly functioning member of society. I think, you know, you're starting to realize, okay, like, this doesn't have to define my entire existence. Just like we were talking earlier about how being a creative doesn't have to define your entire existence. Like you are a person outside of the things you do and feel mm -hmm. like that's just non-negotiable for me, at least how I view people. Um, and so I think for me in the past couple of years, it's also been just like a, how can I reflect the things I'm dealing with in my art? Um, because I think there's something really powerful about artists that will take their inner stories um, and broadcast them for the world to see. Obviously, like in healthy boundaries and not oversharing things. But at the end of the day, how can you do the courageous thing of 
taking the things you're learning in life, the things you've experienced, you know, we're some of all our experiences in life. So how can I take those things um, and put them in my art? You know, this year I lost my granddad um, and I didn't really get the goodbye I was hoping for. And so, you know, it took kind of all the things I was feeling instead of burying them like I would have done in the past. I wrote a script and then I was out in San Diego a couple weeks later and just shot a short film just about like cathartic release and how a lot of times I think and this ties in with mental health that like we we want goodbyes or we want closure we want everything to be wrapped up in this nice delicate bow with everything we experience but like at the end of the day there's so much gray area in everything in life um you know and how can I as a creative take the things I'm thinking about the things I'm working through and processing growing in and really try and put them in my art and you know I'm I'm not on the expert side of this I'm still very much learning every step of the way but I mean I think that's the beauty of life is you get to learn as you go you don't have to really arrive to a certain position so yeah I couldn't agree more man life's life's an ongoing journey there's no arriving at any destination to where it's done and so with that said I'm I'm super curious you're talking about this this battle that you had with depression and, and mental health. I'm curious, what specifically was it that was keeping you, like what battle were you dealing with that was keeping you from being able to be your best version of yourself and to be able to create and, and connect with that? Yeah, I think honestly it was just like low self-image that came from like a very unhealthy desire for perfection. Mm-hmm. being mad at myself because I couldn't do something perfectly. You know, I, if I look back, I always had that issue as a kid. I didn't want to do this sport because I wasn't good at it rather than, you know, do the effort of sucking at it long enough to where you just suck less. You're never going to be perfect at it. And I was, maybe it was one of y'all's podcasts, but someone was saying they are an artist, but they're going to put out bad art the rest of their life and some art they enjoy. And that's not to like discourage yourself or deflate yourself. It's just, it's being realistic. Like it's okay that you're going to be like you were saying that journey. So I think for me, it was like just negative self view, but then also just like fear of failure um, that I think really just crippled my ability to kind of pursue things. Yeah. It's so interesting because failure is, it's always there, right? Like that's what you were talking earlier. Like that's, that's part of being in the arena. Sometimes you get knocked out yeah, <laughs> and and sometimes you knock people out, you know, and, 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 uh, or however you want to look at it, but more or less like that's all part of being a, that's all part of being a doer. I should say, not even being a creative, like all part of being a doer, someone that does things, whether you're an innovator, you're a creator, you're a musician, whatever it may be. If you're consistently, uh, taking action and doing things, you're going to have a whole lot of wins and you're going to have losses and you shouldn't worry about people that aren't in the arena because it's easy to stand on the sidelines and laugh and, and make jokes and, and pretend that you could produce something better, do something better. But the reality is there's a reason why they're not in the arena. There's a reason why they're on the sidelines watching you. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the, the guy that I assisted for that really like for about a year, at the end of college and right after college. Um, our, I'll never forget this conversation. I forgot what we were exactly talking about, but he looked at me and chuckled and said, dude, if you think you've arrived, you're kidding yourself. I'm 43 and I just feel like I'm starting to hit my stride. 
like I think so many times with fear of failure, not only on the sidelines, you're, you're listening to the sideline voices that aren't doing anything. It's that you think you have to be the best you right now when, yeah, you should always desire to be the best you. But dude, I mean, like, just look at anyone in Hollywood that's doing incredible things. You know, a good portion of them are not 15, 16. Um, you look at, you look at most musicians, they've been artists or bands for 10 years before they're even tasting success. Like some friends of mine have been a band for 10 years and they're just now finally getting booked for tours that they've always wanted. Um, but they're also like, yeah, I'm not fully where I want to be yet. And so I think it's like a mix of like, yeah, to be a doer, you have to ignore the sideline voices, but you also have to know that this is all process and all going to take time. I think for me, the, the watchword that you just used was, was process. I think when you learn to fall in love with the process and not the result, that's where the magic happens. Because when you're in love with the process, you, you're always taking action. You're always doing. But when you're in love with the result, that cripples you. And that's really hard to take action on when you just want the big hit. You want the hit to song. You want the, the Instagram banger. You want this or whatever it may be. Uh, but it's the process that creates those results. And so it's important to fall in love with the process. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the end result's such a small part of the thing, you know? Yeah, it's like it's the polished version of it, but you you think about it practically, like the amount of work it takes just to produce one commercial um, or one music video. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been on sets where like, if only people could see what we had to do to like get something cool. And it was always more fueling to be on set, keeping on doing those things than ever being like, look at this thing I made. Like, yeah, it's cool to share the thing you've made. But when you're in the trenches with other creatives, just getting to like do all these really fun things, like that's what fuels at least me um, is that process because I can't ever escape the process in anything I do, um, especially with photography and videography. You know, most of your career is the process of the final image, not the final image. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, your inner journey, how, like this inner journey that you've obviously gone on to uh, combat depression and, and mental health, how has that helped guide your art into a more positive place? Yeah. Um, it's funny, I was having a conversation with a friend about it, I think one time, and they even noticed that, like, that journey changing. Um, you know, when I first started off, it was very dark and moody and desaturated photos. And now I'm not afraid of playing with color and having saturated, vibrant photos. They could be moody, but they're going to be saturated. So something as simple as that. But then also, like, um, let's say that that inner journey I think it more just as I've gone on and gotten better about dealing with depression and mental health issues it's more just about like creating such a solid self-image that I can be secure one in who I am outside of the creative space to where like I can create from a healthy place um 
akin to the creating for the process, not creating for the end result or the smash hit or the Instagram banger. I think it was more just me taking the journey of like one exploring about what things make me tick and go certain ways to where it may be good unhealth. But then like what's feeling me to do these things in the first place. I think, um, when you can strike the balance of like getting your mental health in check, uh, not kicking depression to the curb because I think a lot of times you just, you learn how to deal with it. Sometimes you're lucky enough that you cannot feel depressed for years, but it's more just about like, how do I manage it? Um, that, and that's not a weak answer. It's just, it's okay. It's part of life. Some people have it, some people don't, and you learn to make the best of it. Um, positive self image. I think a lot of times, um, and this kind of also goes back to risk taking because people have such low image of themselves they're afraid to take risks because inherently taking that risk is a check on whether they're good enough for something or not. So instead for me, it was reframing like, no, I am good enough to do this no matter what, no matter if it's good or bad. Um, you know, I, I am myself and that's enough. Um, if I were to quit photography and never do it again, I'm still okay. Um, so I think it was more just taking that, um, and just really being hard nosed about not maybe arriving to that destination all the time. Cause I think every day it's a choice whether to embrace that or ignore that. Um, but I think for me, it was definitely like embrace who you are, who you are is enough. Um, and use that as what fuels you. So you're creating for the, I don't want to say right reasons, but that's the best, I think phrase I have for it would just be, you know, creating in a way that is almost like recycling. Like it's, you were so in love with that process that you feel even more fueled by the things you're doing because you like, it's just like the cyclical flow. Like you were talking about flow. I think that's part of the flow of just when you have those healthy versions of yourself in play, you're free to do whatever creative risk or even business risk that you could want. Mm. I dig that, man. What about, so you're in Atlanta and I've always been kind of curious. And I think I talked to to you and Evan about this a little bit at, at Cando, but what's it like? Like what's the scene like out in Atlanta? It's not a place that I necessarily like when I think of Instagram, it's just like not a city that comes to mind. I've been, been on, been obviously doing the creative thing for over a decade, but Instagram and and this whole world been heavily in it for, you know, five, six years. And I've seen all these various hubs, Seattle, New York, Salt Lake, like all these different places in Atlanta has never really been a place that's popped up on my radar. So I'm curious as someone who lives there as a creator, what's it like? What's the scene like? What's the vibe like? Yeah. So I think it's, it's weird. So at least on the visual side of things, it's still very young. Atlanta used to have, I mean, they still exist. I just don't really know what they're doing as of late uh, called we love ATL. That was kind of like content aggregation, but with a goal of, uh, using art for good. So like, you know, they were doing gallery pop-ups where if they liked your photo, um, you could submit that photo to go into a gallery, it could get sold at a gallery and the sale of that photo would go to like a food bank. Um, and that, you know, in Atlanta Instagram say day, you know, that was 2014, 2015. Um, and then as of late, it's kind of been 
either people moved away um, or people kind of were focusing on their careers. So I, I would say that Atlanta has a lot of visual creators, um, be it photographers, be it videographers. Um, but I, I think the interesting thing is because Atlanta doesn't have that many solid nature landmarks surrounding it, um, you know, we don't have Sun River or Sparks Lake or the cliffs in Northern California or Banff or anything like that. Like that's not really an environment that Atlanta has to easily um, photograph. So I think for at least the Atlanta creative scene, it's been more people focused than place focused. Um, gotcha. So there's that, but then also tell everyone who kind of wants to figure out the Atlanta scene is that like hip hop is so integrated in all of that. Um, you know, I love that. Is it still like dirty? Like I remember, uh, like, I mean, when I was in high school and middle school, I'm 30. So this is what? 2000 graduate <clears throat> high school. And I was seven. Between high school and middle school, the Dirty South, Atlanta specifically, I mean, bro, they yeah. had all the hottest music. Like, it was like, it's, isn't, isn't that crazy how creative creativity works? It, like, you have these melting pots of places that just turn into these crazy bustling hubs for, like, a certain thing. Uh, it's like Toronto right now. Toronto's just been amazing musicians, filmmakers, photographers, like, everything. Atlanta back in the day was like that spot for music. Uh, yeah. And it sounds like it's still, it's like, it's, it's the old faithful. I would say the city because, um, you have people like Migos who are, are not technically from Atlanta. They say it themselves too. They're just North of the city. Um, but you have people like modern day people like Migos, Gucci Mane, future, like all these rappers that, and, and the crazy thing is a lot of people don't know this. Future used to be known as Meathead. Kind of the, the, the family. There's this a little group, meat boy. Exactly. <laughs> this group called Dungeon Family was kind of like. Bro, hold on. Meat boy and Dungeon Family. Meathead. <laughs> Not any better, but that was. I know. I'm, I'm just having fun making fun of Future on the podcast. Not every day you get a chance to make fun of Future. I mean. The, the men chose a smart choice because no one would have taken him seriously. <laughs> um, but Dungeon Family was like kind of the, the one of the groups that was just doing things. I mean, they birthed Goody Mob, Outcast. Yep. Um, oh, yes. Like if there wasn't Dungeon Family, there wouldn't be Atlanta hip hop. Um, and I shouldn't make fun of them then. It's just a funny name, but they're obviously the, 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 the OGs, oh, the goats. Yeah, no, that's the thing is like, and it's cool to see how some of them have stepped into like positions of leadership within the community. You know, if someone like Jermaine Dupree, who's now leading like talent growth and business growth, um, coach K, not the, not the basketball coach, coach K, but coach K who runs quality control studio that, you know, has people like Migos, little baby come in. And, and the weird thing is like, I think as much as like, yeah, there's cities like Toronto and LA and New York that are doing incredible stuff. But like at least on the music side of things, people still want to come to Atlanta. Um, people still reference Atlanta, you know, be it Drake referencing Georgia State um, back in like that 2011 track he had um, 
or just any other people, you know, they, they reference Atlanta. So I, I think Atlanta right now um, is at a unique place where they can define what they want to define. Mm-hmm. Hip hop's inescapable, music's inescapable, but everything else creatively, um, the city has a chance to. And I think people like Evan, who are kind of just like, you know, doing street photography and doing it well and have been doing it well for so long, or there's another guy named Cam Kirk. He's a photographer based out of Atlanta who works a lot with um, a lot of just the big time rappers. You know, he just launched a business model that's going to be akin to a record label um, to help grow photographers' careers. You know, you have people doing that work. Um, Wait, it's a what? In some ways, the, it- <laughs> the way he's describing it on the Forbes article I read is it's akin to the business model of a record label, but it's designed to grow. In some ways, it seems like agency representation, like you know how you can be like represented by Polaris or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. um, it's akin to that, but a little more like I think also the experience he's had where he's been photographing for all these rappers, he's getting to pick up you know record label ideals and how do you apply that to the photography industry. So you know, there's people like that in the city that are doing things creatively, at least visually speaking. Then I mean, you still have Hollywood, you know. Atlanta is still so many films are filmed here. I can't tell you how many film sets I'd walk by in college. I mean, like one of my best friends gave out Red Bull to the cast of Fast 7 and like got to shake Paul Walker's hand two weeks before he passed away. So like the Hollywood and the rap thing is still there. Um, it's more just like the photography the photography when regards to social realm is not like aggregated to like one central thing a lot of people meet up for and you know some of that's atlanta's fault for not really having someone for pushing it hard Um, and then also just i mean i think it goes back to like atlanta's history with even like hip-hop like nobody expected outcast to be what they were and nobody and it's okay nobody really expects atlanta to be a visual hub that it could be but i think atlanta and all the creative people in the south listening to this you know they have you have an opportunity to do things uniquely to authentically to yourself so it's almost like it's that's what atlanta's like but also has the opportunity to grow that's exciting that's got to be an exciting place to be as a creator then to know like knowing more or less that you can grow with it as long as you just stay consistent and and do your thing yeah oh yeah it's really awesome to see that in anyone not not just me not just seven not just cam like anyone can have a role in shaping the creative name of the city and there's people ahead of me that have been doing it for years too um and even like the art and mural scene like in atlanta you have so many muralists and like painters that are doing really cool creative things someone like greg mike who's doing stuff all over and become a really well-known pop artist um you know, there's there's all kinds of folks that are doing really cool things. I think it's more people don't self-promote in Atlanta as much. It's more just keep your head down and work. Not that self-promotion is inherently a bad thing, because I think self-promotion can be important to your career. And it's more just about what you want to do with your career. Do you want to be on a Hollywood set the rest of your life, or do you want to grow and connect with people all over the world? Well, the funny thing is, like, self-promotion is basically marketing. It's like what a, uh, any brand does that creates a product. When you create a product that's awesome, 
you don't necessarily spend a ton of time marketing because the product's so good that your customers will do all the marketing for you. And I feel like it's the same way as for any creator. It's like, yeah, self-promotion is, is, is cool and all, I guess, and, and, and it makes sense certain times. But I think more important than self-promotion is just like getting more workout and, and, and better work and, and, and honing in your craft to where your work is so good that your work does all like you don't have to self promote your work. Just people want to share your work. People want to talk about your work. People want to repost your work and therefore your work goes. And I, I always, uh, you know, that's the philosophy that I try to live by versus, you know, shoving things down people's throats. Yeah. Cause people have a pretty solid BS radar. Um, For sure. and, and I think also like to that point, it goes back to the concept of, you know, 10,000 hours. Like that's the only way you're going to put out good work is to keep on putting out work. And like you said, tell people you, you're putting out a product that's so good that people are going to promote for you. It's just like immersion and doing it. You know, I wouldn't be where I am in the grand scheme of things. Not that I think I'm the most successful person in the world, but just where I am in my journey. If I hadn't taken my camera to school with me every day, and if I was between classes, take photos or done with classes early, take photos. Or, you know, when I was not a college student, I was like, well, I don't have any work to do right now. I'm going to go take photos. Sure, my job is to take photos, but I'm going to go take photos for fun now. I think passion projects are the thing that really, um, and it's funny, at the condo trip, Marvi Lacar was talking about that as, you know, passion projects not only help you grow your skills, but can be used as some of the best pitching ammo you could have to present to companies. Yep. So do money projects too. Oh, for sure. Like if you don't, if you don't have the money, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You can make money moves too. You can just also. Why not have both make money moves? Like, yeah, you can exactly, you can do both as well. Uh, I think that's a beautiful thing. I don't, I don't think it's one or the other or cause oftentimes creators too, sometimes they'll fall too heavily into the passion thing. And it's like, I get it. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with being passionate and getting paid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's your job. You should be wanting to get paid for work if you're good. Like LeBron's passionate, but you better believe LeBron going to get a hey, Le- LeBron is going to get paid. I mean, the man has earned his check because of how passionate he is, and how good he is. Yeah. And so, uh, so we're coming up on time. I wanted to ask you before I get into the last question, who inspires you right now? Yeah. I'm saying his name right. Um, Todd Hito, one of the guys that's just been known over the past 20 years. Weird concept, photographing houses all over. Um, just it's cool to see how he's able to add so much person and soma to something as inanimate as a house. Um, one of my favorite musicians of all time, Dustin Kensrue. He's been a lead singer for a band called Thrice for years. Just the way he writes about humans is so interesting. Um, all the current directors in Hollywood, Jordan Peele, it's doing incredible things. Issa Rae with, you know, just people crafting these really incredible stories. Um, a DP based out of London named Tom Welsh, you know, honestly, it's just always been visual creators that are telling stories about people well and authentic. And then musicians, I think, I think music is a really good place to inspire you visually. It's a weird way to think about it, but, I really believe that the music you can consume can uh, inspire you to do things visually. 
perfect. I love it, man. Uh, to wrap things up, uh, we end the podcast with you more or less sharing some words of inspiration with the AOV community. So whenever you're ready, uh, feel free to <clears throat> take the floor and spread some love. Yeah. First, thank you for having me on. Go after the thing that scares you most because after you start going after it, you're probably going to find way more passion for the things you're doing and you're going to start to lose your fear of failure. Yeah, go after the thing that scares you most because it's always worth it in the end, whether it's a success or a failure. And the inner journey is important. Chris House, ladies and gentlemen, that's C-H-R-I-S-H-O-U-S-E, double underscore on Instagram. Make sure to check out the kid, Chris House, great human being, great work. You guys won't be disappointed. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Art of Visuals podcast. Uh, make sure to smash that subscribe button. We have a lot, a lot of new content coming out. Going to be dropping an episode with Chris Burkhardt coming up here soon. Going to visit him in L.A. and do a little live recording. Uh, and have a few other great episodes coming out soon, too. So stay tuned. And till then, stay visually inspired. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the AOB Podcast. Our goal here at Art of Visuals is to keep everything free and to keep creating great tools and resources for you guys to utilize to, to achieve all your guys' dreams in the photography, filmmaking, and content creation world, even entrepreneurship. With that said, we've picked up Adorama as a sponsor to help us cover some of our costs, and we're grateful for them. All we ask of you guys is if you're going to purchase gear, we'd really love it if you guys would head over to Adorama.com and make your purchase there instead of elsewhere. And just know that when you guys do that, you guys will also somewhat be supporting Art of Visuals and allowing us to continue to create great content for you guys, our podcasts, our free app, and a lot of the other great things we do. Also, if you listen to the podcast, all of the AOV presets are now free. Uh, so check out our website shop.artivisuals.com go get some free presets the artist presets are still for sale if you want to support the artist and you should support the artist uh, just know that that money goes to them and we're also going to be reworking that commission structure uh, here in the next month so we're really stoked about that but go get some free presets and if you guys want to buy gear please support us help us out go to adorama.com peace